sermon this morning deals with a few verses from Hebrews 11, a very well-known chapter, and we will use these verses as a way of looking back as to what we read in Genesis about uh, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. The reading now first is what precedes and what follows chapter 11 in Hebrews so that we have also a sense of context and the reason why the author speaks about all these witnesses. So let's turn to Hebrews 10. And we read verses 32 through the end. So Hebrews 10, starting at verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised, for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And then chapter 1 begins with saying by, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And then follows that whole list of witnesses. And then we pick it up again in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then we read also the verses 12 and 13. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Let's sing now again from Psalm 105, and we'll sing the stanzas 6, 7, and 8. Psalm 105 also deals with the history of God's people, and particularly with Jacob and Joseph, and so on. So let's sing the stanzas 6, 7, and 8.
As you see on your liturgy handout, the theme for the sermon is that by faith we can run with endurance the race set before us, and we'll look at three witnesses, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and then you see also there the texts. We'll look at these texts and read them as we come to each of these witnesses. For now, we'll read what we have as our main text, and that is Hebrews 11, verses 20, 21, and 22. But the other parts in Genesis will come to throughout the sermon. So let's read Hebrews 11, 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I bring to you God's word this morning under the theme, by faith we can with endurance run the race set before us. Those words come from Hebrews 12, that we by faith can run the race set before us with endurance. You're probably familiar with the fact that this year we remember, we commemorate the Reformation, 1517, 2017, 500 years. Why is it so important that we remember what happened 500 years ago, what came out of it, that we keep on going back to that? Well, because of what happened, that by the grace of God, through the work also of men like Luther and others later on, the church of God was brought back to the truth of the gospel. And if I would ask you, what is the Reformation about? What was it that they learned, that they rediscovered by the grace of God? I think we all know that it is... It is not by works that we are saved. It's only by grace through Jesus Christ. It is by faith. By faith alone. You learn it perhaps in school. You speak about it. But the question I would ask you this morning is, okay, that's fine. It's by faith alone. But what does that mean in your daily life? How important is this? If we want to commemorate, if we want to celebrate, if we want to think about what God has given then and how it still has to govern us today, we have to be able to understand too what it means by faith. How does that confession change your life? Or perhaps you may think too, well, yes, fine to talk about it. It's fine if theologians talk about faith and grace and so on and works are not to be followed or not served for our salvation. 
How does that change my life? I still have my problems. I still have my grief. I still have my disappointments. I still have my pains. I still have my doubts. What does it help me that it is by faith alone? I ask that question because the text this morning, part of Hebrews 11, also puts central that expression by faith. Are you familiar with it? chapter, this whole list of witnesses, but also these witnesses are not just giving in a vacuum, suddenly we have to look at these people or maybe even look up to them, they are mentioned for a very specific reason, and that's why we read what precedes and what follows, because just before this chapter, the author has spoken about the hardship that these believers were going through. He says in verse 32, Remember the former days you endured hard strugglings. You were publicly exposed to reproach. It's not very nice and very discouraging when in public you are ridiculed because you are a Christian. You had... The plundering of your property, verse 34. So there was a lot of things happening in the lives of these believers that caused hardship. And the danger was that because of this hardship, they were shrinking back. That's in verse 38. It speaks about that shrinking back. That means that because of the difficulties, you don't go ahead, but you kind of stop in your way, your path, your walk of faith. So the the believers to whom this letter is is written, because of the hardship, we're thinking, well, should I really continue as a Christian? Maybe I should not do it. Maybe I should go back to my old life when I wasn't a Christian. And in that context, a difficult context, The Holy Spirit says, no, you have to go on, you have to run with endurance that race, and you have to do so by faith. And what does that mean? By faith means that you see things that are not visible to the human eye, and that what you see is what guides you. That you don't go by the hardship, the disappointments, the difficulties that you meet in this life, but that you let your life be directed by what God has said and what he has promised. And so after chapter 11, the Spirit comes back to that. and says, okay, now you have all these witnesses, all this evidence. Now look at what you have to do, because you know that sin so easily clings to you, you have to run that race. And your hands that are drooping, they have to be lifted up. And your knees that are weak, they have to be strengthened. So brothers and sisters, these witnesses in chapter 11 were there to prove a point. That's what a witness does. And the point is this, that in hardship and in spite of difficulties, whatever causes these difficulties, you hold on to what God says. That you let your life be guided not by what you see from a human perspective, 
but that you let your life be guided by what you see through a spiritual perspective. We'll come back to that throughout this sermon. Because now we want to apply that to these three witnesses that we have in our text this morning. How do they function as witnesses that we have to run the race set before us with endurance? So let's go to the first one, and I ask you to take your Bibles and to turn to Genesis 28. Let's turn to Genesis 28. We'll read the verses 1 through 4. In chapter 27, we read about the deceit by uh, Rebekah and Jacob uh, by which um, Isaac gave the blessing to Jacob, though he wanted to give it to Esau. And this is what follows after 28 verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. And directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. And take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. If I would have to give an example that Isaac lived and acted by faith, I'm not so sure I would take the instance of the blessing of his sons. It may seem to be more an instance of not believing when he wanted to give the blessing to Esau rather than to Jacob. If I had to give an example of Isaac being a believer, I could think of what is mentioned in Hebrews just before uh, our text is when he with his father Abraham went to the mountain to be sacrificed and that he himself was willing to lay down on the altar and to be sacrificed. Well, that was by faith. Or if you think of the fact that when Eliezer, the, the, the servant of Abraham, was going away to get a wife for Isaac, that while that servant was away, we read in Genesis that Isaac was praying in the field, so he saw also the gift of a partner in his life as a gift from God, and he prayed for that as Eliezer was doing his work. You could say, well, that's faith. Is the blessing of Esau and Jacob and all that happened with it, a witness of faith. You know what happened. God had said to Isaac and Rebekah when they were expecting these two boys that the younger would indeed have the blessing and that the older would have to serve the younger. But Isaac loved the older. That was his favorite boy, Esau. 
And he was fully intent to give the blessing to Esau, contrary to what God had said. And Rebecca heard that, and she loved Jacob, and she thought she should help God a little, and she deceived or made Jacob to deceive his father. And so Jacob steals the blessing. And when Esau comes back from the field and has prepared a delicious meal and so on, then both Esau and Isaac realize they have been deceived. Why then would the letter to the Hebrew take that incident and say it is by faith? It is because of what we read in Genesis 28. Genesis 28 is after that whole incident of deception. And notice what happens. Isaac did not recant the initial blessing. Isaac did not say, Jacob stole the blessing, it doesn't count, I'll take it away from him, and I'll give it to Esau anyways. No. When you read Genesis 28, you know what he did. He says, yes, Jacob, you should have the blessing of Abraham. That you will become a multitude of nation. That this land will be yours. The blessing of offspring and land were given to Abraham. And Isaac gives it to Jacob here. And when Esau comes back... And Esau realizes he has been deceived. Then he says to his father, give me the blessing too. And then Jacob says, no, Esau, I cannot give it to you. You see what is happening there? Although Isaac started on the wrong footing, had the wrong intent, and although what Jacob and Rebekah did was wrong too, In the end, God's words triumphs. In the end, Isaac has to give himself over to the word of God. And he has to give that blessing and he gives it to Jacob. You see, Isaac was looking to the future through his own glasses. He saw Esau, he loved Esau, strong man, a lot of potential. And he looked to the future through those glasses, and he was going to bless them and give them that future. But by God's providence, he had to take his own glasses off and put on the glasses of God's word. That God had said, the younger one will be the one who carries my promise. Now that is the point that is brought here before the Hebrews. You see, Isaac was shrinking back too. Isaac had been told that is the younger, but he shrunk back and he wanted to give it to the older. But in the end, although it involved deceit and sin, Isaac came to realize only God's word gives hope for the future. I have to give it to Jacob. I cannot give it to Esau. In spite of human wavering and sin, God's work continues 
in that Isaac came to realize it is God's word that gives direction. That is important for the Hebrews. I mentioned to you that the Hebrews, perhaps initially were not Christians, had become Christian, were facing hardship, were facing difficulties, and, and perhaps they had also even compromised as they were now facing this hardship, because to face hardship is not easy. When you look at times of persecution, brothers and sisters, you always see that, that, that there's always that tension. Can we stay faithful and, and giving our own weakness so easily we give in and, and we stumble? And, and that was also happening here. And that's why this letter comes to the Hebrews. Don't give in. Continue. And even when you have stumbled, and even when you have made some things that were not right, and decisions you should not have made, go back. Just like Isaac. You see, when we have to run the race with endurance, then Isaac's story here tells us that that run, that race is not run by those who never trip. Isaac tripped. He made mistakes. But he was forced to go back to the promise of God. And in the end, that promise triumphed. And that is what it means by faith. And that is an encouragement for all of us. Because don't we recognize ourselves in Isaac? What glasses are you wearing as you think about your future? the future of your life, the future of your family. What kind of glasses are you wearing? So easily we put up our own glasses, what we think is good, what we think gives hope. And that can bring us to difficulties and hardships. And sometimes these difficulties and hardships are our own fault. Because we did things the wrong way. We made the wrong choices. But do not now shrink back and think, well, because I've made these wrong choices, I've done these things, it's over, it's done. It's never too late. Lift your drooping hands. Hold on to the Word of God. At times, God's children can have that feeling that because they've done something that was not quite right, as if it is over. No hope for me anymore because I did this and I shouldn't have done it. And here the Holy Spirit says, no, it is not by what you have done. It is by faith. So always go back to that word of God. Hold on to it. That's the only way you can run the race with perseverance. That when you fall, when you trip, you go back to it. It's never too late. That's the first witness. Let's go to the second witness, Jacob. And then we turn to Genesis 48. Genesis 48, we'll read first 1 through 6 and 17 through 20. So this is now the time where Jacob and his sons are in Egypt. And, uh, of course, Joseph is 
the second command in, uh, in Egypt, and Jacob is coming old, close to the end of his life. Chapter 48, after this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. It was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. And then we turn to chapter to verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Interesting detail in a way that the letter to the Hebrews puts again up as an example of faith. You think of it, Jacob and his life and how faith governed him. Then you can think of what happened when he fought at the uh, river with the angel of the Lord and so on. But instead, Hebrews refers to the blessing of the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. That blessing received attention in Genesis and also here in Hebrews. What's remarkable about it? And I'd just like to mention two things that, of course, stand out as you read this. Number one is that Jacob adopts the two oldest sons of Joseph as his own. He says, these are mine. What that means is he gives Joseph a double portion among the inheritance in Israel. And he does that because he regards Joseph as, in a way, his firstborn, because Joseph is the son of Rachel, the one who he was going to marry initially, and then through the seed of his father-in-law was Leah first. But he always regarded Rachel as his first wife, in a way, and thus Joseph as his firstborn. So he he honors that and he gives him two portions as a firstborn child usually received in the land. The second thing that stands out is that the the arms again are folded or, or crossed. That Ephraim, the younger one, becomes the bigger tribe. And that's indeed true when you read through 
Judges and Samuel and Kings, then you see indeed that Ephraim is one of the main tribes and powerhouses in Israel. The northern kingdom is basically Ephraim. And, and this, this crossing of the arms shows again God's good pleasure, that he takes one and puts it ahead of the other. Although all those two things are interesting, that is not why Hebrews mentions it. Because Hebrews looks at this blessing from the point of view by faith. What are you looking at? Are you looking at your own things, what is humanly visible, or are you looking at God's things? Well, says Hebrews, Jacob did this because he looked at things God's way. He had the glasses of God's promises on his nose. Because if you think about these two boys of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, a parent will be very proud of what these boys had. From a human perspective, these two boys, brothers and sisters, they had it made. They were secured a most wonderful life and future. Their father was the second in command in Egypt. Well, all the doors will open for you then. No matter what you want to do, you can accomplish. Their mother was the daughter of the high priest in Egypt. So these, these boys had a father and a grandfather who were some of the most powerful people in Egypt. They would go places. Any parent will be very happy with this. Any grandparent will be very happy with this. Now look what, J- what Jacob does. He says, boys, Ephraim, Manasseh, you are mine. I make you like Reuben and Simeon. That means you become part of the people of the Hebrews, the Jews. Now keep in mind that the Egyptians detested Hebrews, despised them, the shepherds. So what the grandfather is doing here to these young boys who have all the opportunities to them, really from a human point of view, he says, no, your future is not here. Your future is with me. And the promises that God gave to Abraham and to Isaac and to me. Well, from a human point of view, can you imagine a disappointment? The doors that would lead to all these wonderful opportunities, they just bang shut with a loud bang. Done. Because grandfather says, you belong to these people. I've set you now on the road, not to the powerhouses in Egypt, but to that land there that Abraham received. I set you on this road, and now you have to run the race by faith. And that means to say no to Egypt. You have no future here in Egypt, no matter what it can do to you. Your future lies with God's people. And again, that is important for the Hebrews. The ones who read the letter 
Because, as you noticed, their conversion, their faith in Jesus Christ had led to adversity. Their property had been taken. Maybe they had lost business. Uh, they, they came to realize that as a Christian, you cannot do what you could do as a non-Christian. And so they shrank back. The temptation was to let go because I cannot do anymore what I would love to do. And now the Spirit says, through referring back to this, you have to run the race by faith. That means you have to look to the land that is promised to you by God's word. That gives you direction. And do not go by what you have here and now, and what may lead to indeed wonderful opportunities, but in the end, they are dead end roads. Brothers and sisters, you want a good future for your children, don't you? You want your children to go places, to have wonderful careers, wonderful opportunities. Well, the Bible says, the Spirit says, as a Christian, they will not always be easy. In fact, there will be roads that you will love to travel or think are so inviting and so many opportunities. And because of your allegiance to Jesus Christ, you have to say no. You'll be looked at in this world as odd, just like the Egyptians looked at the Hebrews as odd. And so you'll be looked at as a Christian because you want to go to church on Sunday. You want to be honest in your business. You do not do what others think should be done in order to get a promotion. And, and as a result, certain careers are no longer possible. We should not think that as Christians we can just Take any career. There will be careers that are impossible because of our faithfulness to God. And there will be promotions that when you hand in your application, they'll go to the bottom of the pile because of your convictions, because of your faith. That we can only become more. And what do you do then? Shrink back? So now I'll just cover up my faith so that at least I get this promotion. I'll move away from the church so I can do these things and develop the things that I would like to develop in my life. No, says the Bible, you have to go by faith, by trusting the promises of God. And that may mean to say no to things here, but you see the things that are not seen because the doors of this world, they may open to you, but they open to rooms that have no exit. But the rooms where God leads you, the path where he leads you, they lead to that city that God is making and creating. So to run by faith, means then also not to be impressed by what is available here and now. Then you have the glasses of this world on. But to look at what is coming, what is not seen to this world, but what you know because God said it will happen in Jesus Christ. One more witness. Joseph. We turn to the last chapter of Genesis. 50, verse 22, 
Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And then one more verse from Joshua 24. This is after the people have entered the land. Joshua 24, the last chapter of Joshua Verse 32, Joshua 24, 32. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. They have the third witness this morning, Joseph. What a life the man had. What challenges he had to face. His life really was at times like a roller coaster, up and down first, very much up because of what his father gave to him and how he treated him, and then down because sold as a slave, sold into captivity. And also in Egypt, you see it go up and down. Many examples you could give of Joseph being a man of faith when he was in jail, when he was falsely accused, and so on. Because We don't hear a lot of complaining by Joseph as he went through all of that. But Hebrews talks about his funeral and the instructions that Joseph gave about his funeral. And again, think about the situation. Joseph was the second in command in Egypt. And you know how they treated pharaohs. And when they came to the end of their life, what they did to them. They would embalm them and they would have them buried into beautiful pyramids. And you still see them when you go to Egypt. The pyramid of all these pharaohs. So Joseph could have also been buried in one of these pyramids. So that today we would go to Egypt, and people could point out, well, that's Joseph's pyramid. But he didn't want that. He wanted to be buried in some unknown plot somewhere in Canaan, in a field somewhere there. And that was not the only thing he said. He's also said, if you noticed in Genesis, don't bring me there now. As they had done, let's say, with Jacob, Father Jacob, when he buried Joseph and his brothers, they brought the coffin to the land and buried him there. He could have done that too, with great pomp, be buried in Canaan. And Joseph said, no, I don't want that. I want to be buried in a coffin, and I want the coffin to stay above ground so that you can see it and that the people in the next generations can see it. 
Why did he do that? Well, says Hebrews, by faith. By faith. That means he knew Egypt is not our home. We're on the way to a different home. So for generations to come, every time they walked past that coffin, they were reminded that there's something more to come. That there is a promise of a land to come. And when they were mistreated by the Egyptians later on, that coffin was their hope, should have been their hope. The hope of faith, that God's words are true and sure. As a side remark, Joseph knew that a message, that a funeral has a message. And that's important for us too. And the message is not about how, how wonderful a person it was who passed away. But the message of the funeral is about the God of that person and what he has promised. And again, this is what the Hebrews needed to hear. They needed to know about that coffin and why Joseph had said, leave the coffin above ground so that when you move out, you then take my coffin along. And they did, as we read from Joshua. It encouraged them. The, the Jews in Egypt it reminded them, we don't belong to this world. We don't belong to Egypt. We have a promise of the promised land. Well, that's what the Hebrews needed to hear. They were facing opposition. They were facing hardship. They indeed also felt we're not part of this world. We're in it but not off it. Now how can you go on with it? How can you then run that race? Well, says the Spirit, it's by faith. Just like Joseph. Hold on to the word. That word is true no matter what. And brothers and sisters... Isn't that indeed also the challenge that we face? We are in the world, but not of the world. But because you belong to Jesus Christ, you embrace him in faith. You're no longer a participant the same way of this world as others. You're looked at as a stranger, as a sojourner. And our children and our grandchildren will face that too. They too will face the temptation to give up and to give in. Why believe in something that you can't see? Just do and do what you can do. Go by what you can see. We live in a very materialistic society and world. That means anything you can touch and see, that's real. What you can't touch, what you can't see, don't build your faith and your hope on it. And now the Spirit comes to you and to our children and says, Run, run with perseverance. And you can only do that by faith. And that means daily holding on to the promises of God. When you make mistakes, go back to these promises. When you see wonderful opportunities, but it will lead you away, hold on to these promises. This is not our home. We're on the way. 
This afternoon we'll confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. And when you do that this afternoon, notice the end of our creed. It ends with life everlasting. That is our home. That's our future. And by faith means to hold on to that. In the certainty that you're not running alone. And that's what brings, what uh, chapter 12 brings out as well. This running the race we do because we follow the one who leads us. The trailblazer, the pioneer, Jesus Christ. Amen.